Hi guys, this is George Rose and you are listening to Talking with TK. Guys, welcome to episode 127 of Talking with TK. I'm your host, Tristan Cannell. We're back for another awesome season. I just really want to thank everyone for all the love and support for season two. Couldn't have gone any better and numbers were through the roof, but I couldn't have done it without any of you guys. So thank you for telling your family and friends, whether you shared it on social media or left reviews on the different podcast apps. It really did all contribute to building the success on the show. So a big thank you, and I'll continue to bring just awesome stories across all the the different Aussie, New Zealand, and even British sports. So definitely do get in touch. If, yeah, I just want to know where you obviously come from and had you your first listen to the show, but definitely send me an email if you've got any guest requests for season three. I'm taking them down now. I'm about halfway through recording the season already but definitely either send me an email at tristan at talkingwithtk.com or get in touch via twitter or facebook at talkingwithtk just send me a direct message on there in terms of what's ahead in season three i've recorded with obviously today's guest george rose but there's also you know new south wales and a former knights captain danny badiris craig wing patrick johnson ben cray michael butner mark eller steve menzies and colin scott's so they're already recorded in the bank. So there's going to be a few, probably episodes, probably about 20 episodes in season three. So definitely catch them every Tuesday morning. But if you want to catch up on all the back catalog, if you're new to the show, definitely check out www.talkingwithtk.com or search Talking With TK on your pod- podcast app. Now to today's guest with Georgie. Rose, one of the old, you know, one of the best cult figures in NRL history, gorgeous as he's known. He is a ripper storyteller. There's going to be some great ones in this one today. He had me in stitches for pretty much the entire thing, but I know you're definitely going to enjoy this one. If you're a Manly fan, I did mention that Steve Menzies is going to be on the podcast as well, and I will be touching base with Wolfman. So I was actually meant to do it this week, but unfortunately got hurt playing ice hockey, but we're going to reschedule for the next couple of weeks. So Big Wolfman's also going to be on the show. So plenty to, to look forward to, whether, you, you know, that's three great cult figures in both NRL and Manly history. So be on the lookout for those episodes as I release them during the year. All right, guys, excited to be back and excited for today's guests. And I introduce George Rose. All right, guys, my special guest today is George Rose. George is a former professional rugby league player. He's played 154 first-grade games, debuting at the Sydney Roosters and playing the majority of his career at the Manly Sea Eagles, where he played in two grand finals. He played in the winning 2011 grand final and also the 2013. He played six games for the Indigenous All-Stars, also being the Preston Campbell medalist in 2015. Post-footy, he works at the NRL as community and player engagement manager, He's also, alongside his brother Matt, runs No Limit Promotions with a specialty in boxing. And he's also a TV presenter. He's <laughs> running, he's, he's with Owen Craigie on o- Over the Black Dot on NITV. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Georgie thanks, Rose. Thanks for having me. Jeez, it sounds like a, uh, a nice little list of things I'm doing there, doesn't it? Mate, you're busy. <laughs> so that's where I want to start, mate, because the boxing stuff's really impressing me. I'm a, I'm a huge boxing fan, so yeah. what you and your brother are doing, like... I'm into that, and seeing the gallant fight night that you boys just put on, tremendous success, mate. So tell me a little bit about the company, how it formed, and your interest in boxing. Yeah, look, um, we, we were super stoked with how the how the last event went too. It's um, it's something that's been a work in progress for a number of years now. I remember the first uh, the first show that we did um, was back in Orange, um, maybe about three years ago. Um, and the the way that we sort of got into it, we've been boxing fans for a long, long time. Obviously, yeah. love our sport. Um, and there was a few good young boxers that we knew who were looking for opportunities. And yeah. um, just to make them opportunities happen, we tried to put a few shows on for them. And um, you know, after a, after a couple of shows, uh, you, you know, we just really got a, a good taste for it and a good feel for it. And 
really wanted to have a go at it because I, I do feel that there was something missing in in the um, elite level boxing in Australia at yep. least at the moment and um, you know we really wanted to, to really dip our hands into it and have a good go at it and, and try and put on some good shows and some good nights and mm. um, you know that was our third big show that we've had. Uh, you know, we had the Star of the Ring originally with uh, Paul Gallen and Junior Paulo headlined it, and then we had... You had a, Mundine, didn't you? We had the Mundine, Tommy, Tommy Brown, Brown. Yeah, uh, yeah. At the casino, and then... Fantastic. Uh, that, was our, that was our third one there with um, with uh, Gallen Hopawati headlining, and I think the, the undercard that we had, you know, I, I don't think that there's many, many shows that would match... Timmy Zoo, um, mate. What, ...what we had on there. It was, it was unreal. Like, every, every result yeah. was either a, a high... I like real knockout or a, or a tough contest that yep. went to a points decision and um, yeah, it couldn't have asked for a better result really. But yeah. even your old mate Justin Hodges looked good. Oh, gee, he's you know what he's so deceptive. That's the thing about him is that he's a very powerful human. Yeah, and, he's a big um, guy, isn't he? And, and I wouldn't call him call him my old mate. I never got along with him once on the field. Really? No, I hated him. I hated, he was a what Bronco. He, what did he do to you? He was a Bronco. He was a Maroon. He was everything that you can think that you'd hate a person for. He was that. So, What about when you played All-Stars together? Well, that was different. He was my mate for a week, obviously. But then, <laughs> as soon as as soon as that, that siren went at the end of the 80 minutes, it was like, you know, beat it, Hodjo, you're... You're a dirty Bronco again. Yeah, so out of the three Rose Boys, yeah. Maddie, Trent, and yourself, you know, you're all into your boxing. Who's the best boxer? <laughs> oh, I, I think we'll all probably claim it. Uh, you, you know, well, <laughs> well yeah, we, we haven't really um, – well, none of us have actually had a, had, a, had a go in the ring. Trent did. Yeah. Um, Trent had his, his crack. He had a few amateur fights and um, – Oh, I think the for me, I, I don't think I'd ever actually get around to doing it. Like I, yeah. I um, it's it's a lot of hard work. Like I've got so much respect for anyone who steps into the oh. ring because you're putting everything on the line when you step in the ring, and there's nowhere to hide. Um, and and it takes a special kind of person to be able to be a boxer. So yeah, um, I agree. Yeah, I, I, I like just being a, a respectful admirer from the sideline. Yeah. So. With the promotions company, now, I've heard a story that you guys got little Bow Wow to, to Walgett, where, where, you're, where you're originally from. How'd you get, mate, like, I like little Bow Wow. Yeah. How'd you do it? I, I, I don't know. It, it happened. It did happen, though. We, um, yeah, we had Bow Wow perform in Walgett, <laughs> and uh, it, it was coinciding with the, with the Walgett Rugby League knockout, which we run out there every year. Yeah. Um, and he, I don't think he knew... Uh, where Walgett was at the time that he would have signed the contract and um, How did he get agreed there? to come out there, so he flew to Dubbo, took a took a um, hire car from there to to Walgett. Um, he's rocked up at the football during the day when it was, um, you know, when the football was still going. And yeah, yeah. I think there was probably about three thousand people at the footy uh, that day, and um, he's come in and everyone's just swarmed the bus, and he had to get on top of the on top of the bus that they had, and um, yeah, there was just thousands of people just swarming him there and then um, oh. he performed that night and and uh, went back to Dubbo that night and what did he stay in Dubbo he stayed in Dubbo yeah where they put what you guys put him up um, I'm not sure where he ended up staying in Dubbo but um, I think <laughs> I think he just wanted to get a bit closer to civilization after <laughs> after the show really it was like um, yeah it, it would have been an absolute eye-opener for him but I still still kick myself at the fact that we got Bow Wow to come um, come and perform in Walgett. Like it's <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I still still can't believe that we actually did it because you look at he's a superstar. He's he a is, superstar mate. in the states. I he's, still YouTube him, mate. Yeah, yeah, and he's got some some really good music, and it's yeah, I, I can't believe that we actually pulled it off. The origin stories are no limits, mate. You'll be telling the grandkids this one for years, oh, buddy. Of course, yeah. I won't be playing them his songs, though, so. <laughs> All right, Georgie. Now, take me back to the start, because you guys are originally from Walkett. Now, you're gorgeous Georgie Rose, but before you, there's two more Georges. Yes. You're George the Third, mate. So yeah. tell me a little bit about your family. Yeah, so um, so my grandfather, George Rose, um, his, his nickname was The Bandit. He was actually... Um, the Bandit? Yes, yeah. He was a, he was a gun shearer, and, and I think that's where he got his name from. And um, he, 
he's, he was actually quite instrumental in, in creating opportunity for us yep. to be able to do what we would do because um, he grew up at a time in Walgut where it was very different and, mm-hmm. um, you know, you weren't, you weren't allowed to come into town without permission. You, okay. weren't, you weren't allowed to... Um, he went and fought for his country, come back and, you know, wasn't allowed to walk into the RSL with his mates who he'd fought for his country for and, um, you know... There were no legal rights. There was no opportunity um, at that time. So a lot of the things that he did uh, to to change those perceptions and and change those rules, he was involved with the Freedom Rides, and um, it was was a period of change where... For me, when I grew up in Walgut, I was, uh, you know, it, it was a much different town then. Mm. You know, we were accepted and we we're, were able to go to school, get education, yep. make the most of our opportunities. So um, the fact that I carry his name, I'm very proud of that. And, mm. um, you know, I, I, I like to um, think that I want to make the most make the most out of my life to be able to make sure that I do him proud. Yeah, I think you should start calling yourself George III. <laughs> Mate, it is a cool name. Yeah, it is pretty cool. And then obviously my father, you know, he was George Rose the second, and then yep. named me George Rose the third. And um, I've got a young boy myself who who I named George Rose as oh, well. So yes. he's George Rose the fourth. The fourth. So, um, you know, anything that I can't do, that uh, I'm sure he'll make up for it in his lifetime. Can you imagine if your boy has a boy and then has a boy? If yeah. you can continue, imagine it could be George the tenth, some well, down the track, you know, but surely we will be royalty by then. I think so, mate. Far, it's, it's automatic royalty. <laughs> so tell me a little bit more about your dad because he was a footy player, right? Yeah. Is that how the boys all got into footy? Yeah, yeah. So we we all watched dad play footy when we were kids. Um, you know, we we followed him around when we we moved from Walgut to Narrabri, and he was playing uh, playing footy there. He was coaching out at out at WeWor as well, and mm-hmm. we used to go out to train him with him. Jamie Lyon every territory Tuesday and Thursday, yeah, yeah. I actually played against Jamie Lyon uh, in in through through a lot of my juniors. Yeah, I nice. Used to, yeah, he used to run over the top of run him. Run over the top of him, and he doesn't like it either. He doesn't <laughs> like it. It eats a nerve with him every time. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it was it was really cool, you know. Like it, it's probably where where we developed our love for rugby league too. Mm. Was from from following dad around and, and watching him play and um, and then trying to emulate that. So yeah, what's the age difference between Matt? Because is, is there three siblings or do you yep. have sisters as well? Um, so I've got I've got two older older brothers. Yep. Uh, that's Max and Justin. There, okay. they, they live up the coast. I've got an older sister who's the oldest mm-hmm. out of all of us. Is, is Mandy, um, and she lives out at Narrabri at the moment too. Okay. So, so you're the um, middle child. I'm, I'm yeah I'm I'm the shit in the middle. I'm the, <laughs> you know, there's no it's, yeah I've, I've definitely got middle child child syndrome, and then. Um, and then there's the four of us who are, who are closer age is, is Matt's the oldest, then my sister Miranda, okay. and then uh, me, and then uh, Trent's the youngest. So Trent gets spoilt. Um, and me, yeah, me and my sister, we're the, we're the ones in the middle who, who get the middle child syndrome. So how are these backyard battles between the boys? Because you, you've all achieved, you played first grade, your two brothers played reserve grade. Yeah. So you're yeah. all good players. Yeah, yeah. So we we um we actually had some really good battles. It was um, and and you know I probably credit a lot of my a lot of my ability to to those battles is mm. that um you know Matt was a, a cheeky halfback, uh, but for a long time he was bigger than me, and he used to really? absolutely give it to me in in backyard footy. So um, he probably toughened me up okay. to. to uh, to to learn that side of being a forward. Do you remember um, the summer when you outgrew him? I do, I do. That was the summer that I was finally on his team. Oh, um, up so until then, no wonder he's the, yeah, the CEO of the yeah, promotions exactly. company. So, so while he was bigger than me and while he could put it over me, I was always on the other team, and he'd he'd absolutely give it to me. Um, and then as soon as I outgrew him, and I, I still remember the time there was this one time we were playing in the backyard. I took a run and no step, just went straight at him, lifted the forearm and sat him on his ass. And that was the first <laughs> time I'd ever been able to do it. Um, and then he, he got up and there was a few punches thrown at the end of that, actually. But um, after that, that was the last time that I wasn't on his side. From then on, I was always on his team. So, yeah. Who was the Suki Lala over the boys? Uh, I'm going to have to say Trent because Trent was the baby. Well, I won't say that because he... he so Matt, Matt used to give it to me. Yep. When I'd try to give it to Trent, Matt 
and mum and everyone else, they'd all pick on me and say, no, you can't do that. And it's like, well, hang on. I've had to cop this off Matt for all these years. <laughs> Why can't I give it to someone else? But no, no good. The, the baby of the family gets all the treatment. And here I am, middle child syndrome gets no love either way. So how did the Rose family end up in Bathurst, George? Um, so that's where mum's family's from. All of mum's family's from Bathurst. Okay. Um, so I think it was... 1992, we were in Narrabri, and um, and Dad actually passed away, had a heart attack, okay. playing touch footy. Um, and so at the time, Mum, single mother of four kids, you know, she, she needed a bit of help um, with us because we were pretty wild. Mm. Um, and so we moved to Bathurst, which was closer to her family, and uh, so my two uncles, Uncle Craig and Uncle Royce, uh, were there, and they were, they were really great role models for us to have anyway. Like uh, Uncle Royce, he, he coached me through... Uh, through the rest of my junior junior career, mm-hmm. um, give me a lot of swift boots in the ass to, to keep me on on track. And um, it's funny, I was only just talking to one of my mates uh, that that came through that era with me, um, and saying that it was it was the kicks in the ass that that you know really yeah. uh, led to the success that I had because so if, was if he wasn't thing, to do that, yeah. I, I could have easily gone the other way. You know, I could have easily. Um, you know, being a problem child who, you know, who didn't succeed the way that I have. So. Yeah, for sure. So was it a discipline thing that Definitely, they really yeah. put into you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's, um, yeah, so that's how we ended up in Bathurst. And, you know, I did all my high schooling in Bathurst mm-hmm. and um, it was good. It was probably a good progression for us, really, you know, to go from Walgood, a small town, to Narrabri, yep. a little bit bigger, and then Bathurst again, a bit bigger than that. And Jamie uh, Lyon would have been cheering, mate. You wouldn't have to play him oh, anymore, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. See, that's that's why he flourished. That's why he flourished. He, from there, he he went on and um, then he ran know, away he, to Sydney and ran away to Sydney. He was playing for New South Wales at age sixteen, and <laughs> um, by, by eighteen, he was representing representing at the NRL level, and then playing um, playing for Kangaroos a year after. And yeah, I remember seeing his name actually in the. Um, in the you know when you'd, you'd see the the big league and they'd the program, show the, yeah. the junior reps and I'm like I'd see his name there and I'm like that can't be the same Jamie Lyon that, that I used to run <laughs> over the top of he was a little sook when we used to play in Wee Wee he used to be sook and running off the field because I was tackling him too hard but um, yeah he he really progressed and and progressed fast and, and he's he's a hell of a player like I still rate him as as one of the best players that I was able to play alongside because yeah. um, the things that he did on the footy field were just Things that, that most players just can't do. Yeah, totally agree. Now, George, you're a very, very proud Indigenous man. So talk to me a little bit about, like, your backstory in terms of where your mob's from. Yeah. Was it both your, your parents' side that, that is Indigenous? No, so all, all from Dad's side. So, okay. So, um, so on Dad's side, I'm... Uh, I'm a rose. I'm a rose from Walgut, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, my nan was a Nichols, so Nichols Bend out at Walgut. That's where that's where all of her family's from. Okay. So um, one of one of the original families of Walgut. My pop's family were were Yularoy, uh people out around Engledool, mm-hmm. um, out around that way. So um, and and if you look across the across uh, northwest New South Wales. Uh, the roses are pretty pretty well spread out uh, across that area. So, um, Pop had, um, oh, I think he had about eight or so brothers and sisters. Wow, so, big family. So across Brewarrina, um, you know, Walgett and Burke, um, all out through that area. There's mm-hmm. there's roses all all through that area. But yeah, roses, Nichols, Fernandos, Winters. Um, yeah, there's a there's a, a big mob of uh, of family out that way. Yeah, what age were you when you started embracing it, starting to learn a little bit more? What age were you then, George? Um, well, well, look, we've we've always grown up around it. Like, yeah. um, you know, having having a, a really strong, proud family mm-hmm. um, was something that was. I guess I'm pretty privileged that we got to got to embrace our culture from a young age. Um, Pop always uh, instilled a lot of um, proud messaging in us to, to be proud of who we are and where we're from. Yep. Um, and, and I feel that uh, I, I feel that that's that's something that I, that again I, I'm really privileged that he, that he did that for us because I've never felt uncomfortable in who I was and I've always been proud to be a an Aboriginal man from Walgett. And um, that, I remember that was the last thing that he actually said to me before. Uh, before I headed headed down to Sydney, he was, um, you know, he said, "Don't don't ever forget who you are. You're George yeah. Rose, your Aboriginal man from Walgett." And um, you know, as a fair skinned person, like it's it's something that I'd, 
you know, in Sydney, you sort of got to explain yourself to people. But where I'd grown up, you know, I grew up in Walgett where, you know, 80% of the population's Aboriginal and mm-hmm. everyone knew me and knew my family and we were all Aboriginal. So we were, we were you know, it was never something that I really had to explain or or anything like that. It was more so as you move away and you move into these bigger places and yep. and people have a have an image of what a what an Aboriginal person looks like and if you don't fit fit that image in their head then you you know, you gotta explain, explain yourself to yeah. them. But um yeah, no, I'm very lucky, you know, my, my pop was a very political man too and um, you know, so he's he's always fought for Aboriginal rights and, and to be part of that politi- political movement and to know um, you know, a lot of a lot of history and to meet a lot of the great, strong people that that both him and my father were around during that time has has helped to make me a you know a very strong, proud Aboriginal man. Yeah, absolutely. How did it feel when you got picked for the All Stars? Because you were in the Dreamtime team before it actually all started as well. Yeah. To be in a room and spend a week or just the camp with boys, you know, everyone's got a story. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And you, I'm sure you're all spreading your story between yourselves and your coaching. But to be in that room and be with the boys, that would have been just the most amazing experience. Oh, mate, it was it was super. Like it was um, to to think now. I still remember the feeling before the kickoff for the game and and standing back there and just seeing the whole crowd. Like there were so many you know mm. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in the stadium and and just the cheer. Like you, you get goosebumps thinking about it. And but to play alongside those boys, like I remember when we were having a bit of a you know a bit of a truth telling um, uh, night. And we we're sitting around yarning, and yep. um, I remember saying to all the boys, like, you know, like I, I watch them on TV every week, and I, you know, I idolise them, and I, and I secretly cheer for them when when something good happens, you know, on the like field. Presto like Presto on that, yeah. like you see, you see Preston Campbell stepping people and scoring <laughs> tries and stuff like that, and you're like, you know, you can't help but clap and yeah. and love what they do. I remember, like, a, you know, even like Chris Sando when he was pulling off shoulder charges and stuff like that, you know. I'd, I'd cheer for that sort of stuff. Like I loved, I genuinely loved watching each of them play yeah. footy, and um, to to explain that to them that that that's the way that I felt. Like even though I've got my club loyalty and my team loyalty, I still can't help but love watching what they did on the field and yep. to get to um, to get to know them better as as people and to know their story and and who they are and how they got to where they are. Um, it was. Yeah, it was uh, it was really cool for me to be able to share the field um, with with those type of guys, and to um, you know even even watch the different ways that they prepared and and um, just the type of people they were away from the field. Because, yeah. like I said with Hodjo before, you know, like you, there's people that you hate on the field that you absolutely hate, but then um, to to be able to share, you know, share some of their story and and get to learn who they are yep. away from the field, like yeah. I hate to say that Hodjo's a good guy, but you know, he's, he is, he's a really good guy. But, you know, like for so long as, as a blue and as, as a non-Bronco, yeah. you know, I, I hated, hated, him. hated him and hated, hated the rest of the boys. I hated JT and hated playing against him. Um, but, you know, to be on the same side as him, like, man, what an experience. <laughs> Georgie, two of the guys you just mentioned, President Campbell and Chris Sandow, now, you're one of the bigger boys in the game, yeah. and you know how much it hurts after a game and how long it takes to recover. Yeah. Are you amazed by those two? And because they don't go, they don't go hiding either. Like no. they put in the work. And can you imagine playing at that size? Oh, look, I've got so much respect for those little guys. Like that, they put their body on the line. Like, like I know, I know how big I am, and I know yeah. how hard I try to hit people as as a footballer. And and people didn't hold back just because they were small. If mm. anything. They went a bit harder, knowing that they could do a bit more damage to this little bloke. So, um, for them guys to to do what they did on the field, cop the hits, get back up, do it again, and keep doing it for eighty minutes plus, still find it in them to be able to have this yeah. amazing attacking flair where you know they could do anything on the field, and then um, you know go through their recovery, turn up at training the next Monday, do it again week after week, year after year, playing yeah. eighty minute games. You know, it's it's solid. I've got nothing but respect for them guys um, for what they were able to do on the on the field. Yeah, definitely. Now, I just want to talk to you a little bit about development because you saw how small I am, and I used to referee play a little bit too. And people used to always say I was just too small to do it. And the same thing happened with Preston Campbell. I'm sure the same thing with Chrissy Sandow. Now, in a bit of a reverse discrimination because 
you know how cutthroat it is, especially at junior reps level. Yep. Do you know, like you've got a squad of 25 to 30 players and out of that squad, maybe two or three, if you're lucky, will make first grade. Yeah. Yep. Did you ever face, because you're a bigger fella, discrimination, not real discrimination, but you know what I mean? Like them yeah, saying, oh, yeah, you're yeah, too yeah, big definitely. to make it and things like that? Well, look, when I first came down to Sydney, um, I almost didn't make uh, didn't make the, the post-Christmas cut. Mm. So I'd signed with the Panthers and... Um, Mate, I was coming from Bathurst where, you know, our training our training sessions weren't hard. You know, we'd we'd play some touch footy, we'd yeah, do some okay. skills and do some stuff. Yeah. And but most of it was just uh, pretty much turning up and having a bit of fun, throwing a ball around with the boys two nights a week, and yep. that's what we do it. So you come down, and then suddenly you've got three or four days of fitness training. You've yep. got weights every day of the week. I hadn't lifted a weight in my life before I came down. Wow. Um, so so these sort of things were an absolute eye-opener for me, and, and it was hard to mm. to, to get into. Um, Did you nearly pack it in? So, oh, plenty of times. Yeah. Plenty of times. So my family was in Bath, so I was in Penrith. I used to travel home three days a week. So as soon as training had finished, I'd head back, uh, head from Penrith back to Bathurst. Yeah. Um, and then we'd have training the next Arvo, so I'd come back for it. And then, um, you know, if we, uh, depending on how I felt, sometimes I'd do it again. I'd head back to Bathurst after it. So I was heading back, you know, nearly three times a week. And it wasn't Jesus. until till Matt moved down that I started to get a little bit more settled. But yep. it still took me took me a couple of years before I stopped, um, you know, travelling back as much as I did. But it was just, it was hard. Like, it, it was really tough doing what we were doing. Mm. Um, and, and I'd get a bit homesick too. But, um, you know, it's... The thing with football is, like, I reckon any any body shape can play it. Mm. Any any height, any size, any weight. Um, you need to have coaches that are that are open minded. Yeah. I, I think, like, I, I, I do feel like sometimes they're they're really close minded on what they want in a player that they want a, a set certain body type to be able to do a certain job. And um, I feel like. You know what I did at a lot of stages in my career was break the mould of what yeah. what a front row was meant to look like or what a front row was meant to do because um, you know my shape was a lot different to to the other front rowers that were running around on the field. Yeah. But I always made sure that I that I stuck to my strengths and my strengths were is that you know I was able to run over a black, I was able to get a quick play of the ball, I was able to make big meters after a carry, I was able to do those things, and I thought if I keep showing off my strengths then, you know, I'll still keep getting these opportunities. Yep. You know, I, I did have a lot of weaknesses in my game and mm. and but and I worked on those as well, but I thought if I didn't highlight my strengths and that's the thing with little guys as well, is that is that while a little guy might you know, they might look at a little guy and say, Hey, he's a he's a a, a um a spot in defence or something like that. Yeah. Doesn't matter if he can make a tackle Great, but then when you get the ball, show us what you can do with the ball. Show us why you should be on the field. You know, step people, do yeah. chip chase, regather, whatever it is. That's the Preston Campbell approach. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And and you know, people will say, "Well, Preston's small. Okay, we'll run at him all day. He'll keep tackling you. He'll keep getting yeah. up, and he'll do it again. He'll do it again. But then when he's got the ball, he's going to step you, and See he's going to run fifty meters yeah, and score a sure. try. And that's what you've got to deal with. But you know, like as, as long as as long as coaches keep being open minded on on different body shapes and sizes, then you know, and, and people need to keep their confidence too. Don't let yep. those things um, you know put you down and think that that you can't do it just because there's one part of you that's lacking to what an NRL player is. Because you, you you could have another thirty parts that make you a great NRL player. Yeah, I agree. So you just mentioned moving away from the norm. You know, one of the things, I know you love running over the top of people, but, <laughs> mate, your footwork, your yeah. footwork for a bigger fella is good. Is that something that, you know, you talked about strengths and weaknesses. Was that something that you worked on? It was probably my one of my major strengths was was my footwork. Um, mm. and, and I think in the era that I was playing in, it wasn't really used a whole lot. Like we see guys like um, Tao Malolo now who yeah. has amazing footwork and, and, and a lot of the forwards are, are working on um, trying to have the good footwork like them other players. Yeah, but um, during the era that I was coming through, it wasn't really something that forwards did. Mm. But it, it was a strength that I had that, that gave me that that extra you know chance of getting a line break or, or getting a few extra metres on a carry because... Um, it, it's a strength that I had, and, I, and again, I'll attribute that to to Matt and the the backyard footy <laughs> the battles. Yeah, when we um when we so when I was living with him down here in Sydney, 
Um, we laugh about how on our game days we'd be down on the road playing barefoot touch on the road, um, you know, just one-on-one, just trying to step each other and score tries. And, um, you know, a lot of that is is the reason that I ended up having the, the footwork that I did is because we're doing these you know, stupid things now when you think of a game preparation down in 40-degree <laughs> heat on the road, playing touch. Um, it's probably works, not the best mate. preparation for a game. But He's a halfback yeah. and you had to, like... Exactly. Think of like really different things to get around him, and, and and again, it helped me for my for my defense as well to be able to move laterally to yeah. to try and stop him from stepping me. All these little things um, helped me to become a, a better footballer, and it's it's funny that um, that those things in the long run were the, were the things that helped me. But um, yeah, it, it made the difference big time. Now coming through the junior reps and at Penrith, at what stage? Because obviously you play Matthews ball, you're playing flag. At what stage did you think, oh, you know, I might be able to have a shot at being a first grader? Never. Really? <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I played I played ball, I played flag, and I played reserve grade there. And um, during that whole time, I still never thought, even though, like, I think our SG ball side, about six or seven of the guys uh, went on to play uh, NRL, um, Luke Lewis probably being our mm. best uh, best performer from that, that era. But... Um, yeah, we like even the year that I played reserve grade at Penrith, we we made the grand final and I had a pretty decent season. I was I was yep. playing some pretty good footy and I still I still didn't think that I was a first grader, even though you know I'm one step away. Mm. Um, and I signed a contract with the Roosters at the at the end of that year to go and uh, train full time here for two years and yeah. and that's where it was sort of um, you know a bit of an eye opener that okay now I'm training full time. I'm training alongside. Um, the first grade players, and I hadn't done that at Penrith at all the whole time I was there, and um, so to get that opportunity, it, it still didn't really, still didn't really set in that I was actually a first grader yeah. or, or could be a first grader. But um, mate, you, you love know. the big city moves, don't you? All the way through now from Penrith to the city. Where were you living in the east? No, I, I um. I, I moved into. I was at Alexandria. Yeah, that's still but a big that's move. Still, mate, that's that's right a massive move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was. Um, yeah, I'd say I was just slowly progressing, <laughs> get, getting into the big city. I couldn't have moved to the big smoke straight off the bat. Yeah, with the Roosters, mate. That two thousand and four because they make the grand final that year. Coach is Ricky Stewart. Your captain's Brad Fittler. Yeah. What was it first day that you turned up the training and did you did you say anything to Freddie? No, no. I, look, I, I was I was a scared young bloke, and uh, like I, if Freddie used to be a very cool, very mellow person. Yeah. But then, as soon as there was something that he wasn't happy about, he let the whole team know. Like if okay. if you if there was too many drop balls or or people you know not doing not listening or talking or something like that, there. Yeah. You know, he'd let everyone know, and, and he was so well respected that the moment that he spoke serious. Everyone shut up and everyone done what he said. Yeah, even better, you know, like uh, above and beyond what what he'd expected of everyone. And it was just the was the his aura more than had. anything that you'd ever seen in your career. Oh, it was massive. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. I, I think um, Cameron Smith obviously has a has a yeah. a great aura about him. But um, you know, as a young bloke to see see Freddie then, and there was so many other things. I was having nightmares about Ricky Stewart back then too. Ricky was, man, he was... Um, he was a taskmaster, wasn't he? Master, was wasn't ruthless, he? yeah, yeah, he was tough. Um, so so that was my uh, my awakening to, to full-time uh, NRL training. And, yeah. How was the opposed sessions? Because they had Moz, they had a big Adrian Morley, Craig Fitzgibbon. Yeah. So they had some, like, the best guys in the world playing yeah. Brian Fletcher. yeah. What was it like being opposed when you're just? How old were you? Nineteen. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was, yeah. I was twenty when I when I got there, um, and like, you know, Adrian Morley was a guy that I watched on TV. The guy that was taking heads off, and <laughs> the guy that you don't run near or or, no. or do anything. And and it's it's funny because he again he was he was a pretty chilled out sort of bloke and. Um, but you know, you get him as soon as he gets into that that zone. Yeah, it's just like a kill zone. It's like he's he's ready to anything that comes near him is getting absolutely shredded just and hammered. Um, he was yeah. So so like I, you know, I'm really lucky to have had the opportunity that I did to to be able to be under guys mm. like that and 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 learn from a, a lot of guys like that. And there was you know, it's funny because a few of the uh, other front rowers who were there with me at the time went on to have really long careers as well. They so did, yep. uh, Benny Hennett and Dave Shillington were, were two of them 
um, who were there during that period and, and both had, had really long careers. Mickey Payer, another, another guy who... It's funny how you all had your groundings in reserve grade, yeah. a little bit of first grade, and then yeah. you kicked on at another club. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and towards, so towards the end of my time at Roosters, I, I'd, I'd received a really good offer from Manly and Manly yep. said, um, you know, they were guaranteeing me a spot... Yeah. In their seventeen, if I if I went across there, and I thought, how cool is that? I'm, you know, I'm going to be in a role play. Grade, yeah, yeah, and then and so I, I went and spoke to Ricky Stewart, and I and I said, um, you know, I've had an offer from from uh, Manly, and he said, oh yeah, how much is it? And and I told him how much, and he said, yeah, yeah, yeah we could, you know, we could beat that. I, and I said, oh, and they guaranteed me that that um, I'll I'll be playing in their seventeen every week. He said, "Oh yeah, well, you know, you you may as well take their offer." Okay. I said, "All right, well, all right, well, sweet." You know, shook hands and and, yep. and moved on, and um, you know, everything was history after that. I spent eight years at, at Manly, and um, you know, got to play a lot of lot of first grade footy, and um, really glad that I went there though. Like it was a yeah. It was a really good club. Yeah, so mate, you're still at Alexandria. Does that mean you crossed the bridge and moved? Because you live at Mossman now, I yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Did yeah. you move? Where'd you move? Like another big move? Yeah, probably. yeah. I ended up moving. Well, it was it was sort of like um, it was sort of like taking a step back after living in the city. Yeah. To move over there, it was like once you're on the beaches, it's pretty insulated. It's pretty chill too. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like you're in a big country town in that area. Unless you cross the spit, you know, you're you're in, um, you know, you're in the safety of the northern beaches. Yeah. Everyone knows everyone's business, and um, you know you're pretty close to, to everything over there. So you know, I was ten minutes away from training, and yep. um, it was yeah, it was it was a really really good move for me. So, George, be honest now. Did when Desi and Donny Singe saw you rocking up to off season training, did they lick their lips, mate? <laughs> I oh, know Donny did. Donny still does. Every time he sees me, he's yeah. He he absolutely uh, he loved it because he knew that that he was going to get some squeals out of me um, over the next few months. But like oh, I again, I used to have nightmares about them blokes. Like, <laughs> for for the whole period, it was like you, you turn up and it was like yeah yeah that's good. Um, you know we we you could just tell them they're rubbing their rubbing their hands, licking their lips, and they're thinking yeah we'll get him doing this this and this and yeah. <laughs> But yeah, they were great. They were really good. Like I, I really, really matched up well with what their logic was on, on rugby league yep. and on and on training too. Like man, they they trained me hard. They trained me real hard. But it was, um, you know, I got the best results uh, that I had with them. Like they yeah. were they were a lot more specific with with their training with me too. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, they got, got some good results. Yeah, you know you spoke about coaches being open-minded. Yeah. Because what was your playing weight when you were actually in first grade? Between between 123 and 128. Yeah, but realistically, if they really wanted to, they could easily drop you in at 110 if they yeah. wanted to get you there. Yeah. But they're open-minded to think that maybe George won't play as well if he's down at 110. Well, it had actually happened, so... It took a while to probably get to that state that um, I think my best playing weight was was about one twenty five. Yeah, um, and so there was a lot of yeah a lot of trial and error that led to that because some people have their their thoughts on uh, what your skin fold should be and stuff like that. And um, you know, I, I, I'm someone who always carries carries high skin folds around my stomach. Yeah, that's where I carry all my weight. Um, and funnily enough, at Manly, there was a few blokes who were like that. You know, your Glenn Stewart's, your Jamie Lyons, Michael Robertson. Yep. Um, I remember one year Robbo came back and his skin folds were through the roof, but he was still like 80 kilos straight up and down. <laughs> I was like, what is this? But, um, yeah, like they – like we – I actually tried to go really light one year. I think I went down to like 111. And, wow. Um, you know, I could, I could have ran for, for, for two days straight, but mm. – um, as far as being effective on the field, uh, I, I probably wasn't as effective as I could have been okay. with with the extra ten kilos on me. Um, so so through that trial and error, you got to a point where you know at that weight between one twenty three and one twenty eight, I was able to put out you know fifty to sixty minutes of quality football um, without you know having to you know overdo it either way. You know without being a liability uh, with too much weight or without being 
um, ineffective with, yep. you know, not enough weight. Yeah. Now, George, you came through a Manly era where it was a dynasty. It was a real golden era of Manly Seagulls footy. You know, there's been a couple of down days and now – down years, sorry – and now they've obviously brought back the old crew. In terms of looking back now on reflection, what do you think was the main catalyst behind the success at Manly when you were there? Um, yeah, look, I, I think there was just a really good squad of people. Yeah. Um, well, you know, like I was lucky enough to, to play at a few other clubs before I finished my career and I realised that the the facilities that we had at Manly were were terrible. Mm. Um, it's from the eighties, right? We used to get yeah. changed in in the back seat in, in the boot of our car. Everyone would pull up in the car park, and we'd sit in the boot, and we'd have our have our gear there. We you know we didn't have locker rooms, we didn't have nothing flash. Um, we'd just turn up and we'd train hard. Yep. We we worked hard for each other, and um, you know we had a life off the field as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we didn't have long training days, but we we still got as much done in our time as any other club did. Yep. You know, in our day, and and then the rest of the day, you're able to live your life, and you're able to be a person, and you you know you're living on you're living on the northern beaches. You get to experience Not living bad. on the northern beaches. Yeah. Um, but the people that were there at the time really set a good standard of the culture, like the you know the, the Stuart boys and the yep. um, you know Anthony Watmo. Um, you know he was a really different character, but he worked hard and he'd mm. work hard for you. Um, and, and just the the attitude that people had, like there was a there was a like a, a loyalty that that Desert instilled into everyone that. Um, you know he cared about his players yeah and like even you know there was periods where there was a lot of drama happening off the field with with mm-hmm. the manly club yeah but none of that really touched the players because i feel like des kept the players separate to the drama and and you know created that safe environment for the players mm. um so you know like i used to turn up on the field and and every game that we played in i was confident that we could win yeah a team would score a try against us, and I'd I'd still think like, you know, that's nothing. We're yeah. we're, we're still going to score. We're going to score a try against these fellas. Like, I know that we're going to smash them in defence, and we're going to turn around, and we're you know, I'll get a quick play of the ball, and uh, you know, Chucky will jump off the back of it, and then and then Glenn Stewart's going to come in, and he'll flick it to Jamie Lyon, and Jamie Lyon's going to create something out of nothing, and yeah. um, you know, Brett Stewart will pop up anywhere. You know, it's like it's. You know, there was a there was a real confidence in everybody's ability to know that we're winners. We were winners, and yeah. that you know that 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 you can beat anyone who steps in front of you. Now, how did you get the name Gorgeous? I can't believe you're even asking me that. You're looking me in I the eye this, right now. I know this, but who gave it to you? You should know. I this. know this. You but can tell. I, I, was it the che- <laughs> cheerleaders? And actually, <laughs> no. It, it was the grand announcer. It was the grand announcer at Manly. Well, just um, out of the blue, just yeah, yeah. Um, and and I just I went with it. I took it. I'll, you know, gorgeous. mate. I'll you already know, mate. <laughs> yeah, gorgeous George. I thought it's you know I'll, I'll take it any day of the week. It's there's been a lot of um, less flattering nicknames for people over the years. So um, yeah, gorgeous is a good one for me. I'll take it. When you're at a cafe or at the shops, do they still yell out gorgeous to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now and then I, I, I get the gorgeous George and it's, yeah, it's um, that. Yeah, it's good. It is good. Like I, you know, I, I really had a good rapport with the fans over in Manly. Yeah, um, and I, and I still, you know, still really love getting out to games over there. And you still are a cult hero, it. mate. Yeah, well, I, I love it over there. It's great. Like I, one thing that I, that I do miss that I'll never be able to emulate is is the roar of the crowd that I used to get when I'd run on the field and and um, you know they'd announce my name over the thing and you'd hear the crowd going I'd just think fuck give me that ball I want to run over the top of someone now who do you think's a bigger cult hero you or Wolfman <laughs> that'd be pretty close yeah 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 Wolfie was yeah Wolfie was nuts during that whole period like he was yeah. He, he literally turned into the wolf man. He'd, <laughs> he'd gone from just a guy with a beard to, yeah, he embraced his Were you surprised a guy that didn't have a beard a few before that? He was more of a quiet guy than he became a, a cult hero. Yeah. The wolfie. Yeah. Were you guys surprised? 
Um, no, like he 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 had a little bit of out there crazy bloke in him that already. Okay. It was like he was trying to contain it, like trying to be this nice clean cut bloke for for a long time, and then he finally got the chance to unleash the wolf. And, there you go. He could be a Marvel character was, or something. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. I have no doubts. Um, but yeah, he was destined for for the Wolfman. <laughs> All right, George. Now, 2007, you hit a, a big major part of adversity. You break your leg. Yeah, yeah. How was that, obviously, breaking your leg back and then even thinking about trying to come back to the footy? Um, mate, it was tough. It was, without a doubt, the toughest period of, of my career. Um, you know, it was nearly 18 months before before I got over that. And, and there was there was a the period where, you know, I'd go and see the doctor and the doctor would say to me, you know, like, uh, have you thought about getting a job, you know, what, really? what do you want to do for wow. work, you know? Um, because the surgeon who worked on it at the time said, um, you know, I'll be lucky to lucky to, to walk properly, let alone be able to run and, you know, continue to play football because it was pretty pretty catastrophic, the damage that it did at the time. Um, but but it healed. It healed over time. I had some, um, had some really good positive people around me and that's, uh, you know, that's why I've always got so much respect for a guy like Donny Singh who... Yep. Um, you know, I'd come out of the doctor's office where they've just told me that, um, you know, my career's over, why don't you go and look for a job? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd walk in and see Donnie, and Donnie was like, you know, you'd see that I'm kicking stones and not happy, and, um, you know, he, he'd pick me up straight away. He'd say, oh, no, you know, don't, don't worry about it. here. chuck me some weights, go and, yeah. go, and, go and throw some steel around, do this and that, and he'd pick you up. He'd so he believed in you, mate. Yeah. He believed in me, yeah, 100%. And it's, it's sometimes it's just those, those little things like that and people like that who, who you have around you in your toughest times who, who can, you know, help you, help you get back to where you want to be. And honestly, if, if, if Donnie Singe wasn't at the, at the Seagulls at that time and, and as supportive as he was, you know, I don't know, I don't know if it would have worked out the same way as it did for me. Yeah, because mentally, like, because the boys made two grand finals. Yes. So for you to know that you dropped your spot in first grade and you, you're, you're trying to recover... And the boys are going bloody good on the field. Yeah. Like, for you to come out the other side, because 2009 was one of your best years. Yeah, definitely. You're a try-scoring machine. <laughs> you were like, how many tries? You scored like six uh, or seven that six year. Six tries, yeah. Scored five games in a row while I was flying. No nudie runs, nothing. No nudie runs, yeah. Yeah, I thought I was going to be up for try-scorer of the year. I think Nathan Merritt had about 30, but I thought with six <laughs> I was still a chance. <laughs> But you must have been pretty proud the way you come back, bud, bud. Oh yeah, yeah, super proud. Like I, like I, I think back of the roller coaster that I rode for that for that eighteen months. Like literally, mm. some days I'd get up and I'd be that sore and think, you know, I'm no chance, and it'd be a low day. Next day, it'd be good, and I'd rip in again. And yep. um, mate, it, it was a very tough period. But to to come out the back of it and uh, play the way that I did in two thousand and nine, and um, just be back enjoying footy the way that I was and enjoying, enjoying the boys, enjoying their company. Yeah. Um, mate, it, 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 made, it made all the, the dark days worthwhile. For sure. Now, after all the adversity, mate, like 2011, fitting reward, grand final. Yeah. How did it feel knowing like the week into the grand final, you probably thought about all the shit that you'd actually been through? To be there on grand final week, it must have been an incredible experience. Oh, it was amazing because I, um, like you mentioned, the, the boys had played in two grand finals during my injury. 2007 was the hardest one to watch because yeah. um, that was a year that I got injured and, and we lost the, the 2007 grand final. Yeah. Melbourne were over the cap, but let's not talk about that. <laughs> um, so, so it was hard to see them lose. To see them win in 2008 was a really good feeling. Yep. And then to, to be part of 2011 and actually contribute to the win. Um, and I, I actually I watched the game the other day. I was, I was that close to being first try scorer. We had this play that we used to run on the, on the, uh, on the right edge every time. And, yeah. um, the option always came down to whether it was hitting me or hitting Brett Stewart. Um, and and my line opened up like I watched it. Yeah, my line opened up, but they they hit Snake out the back, and Snake's gone straight through. And I thought, geez, if they had hit me there, I could have been first Mate, try scorer been paying, in the grand final. You'd have been paying hundred bucks. Oh, at least, at least, because I'd come off the bench because we hadn't scored in all of that time. And and then um, yeah, like to to be a part of it, it was amazing. Like to walk out onto ANZ Stadium and it's yeah. actually packed. That's um, no seats missing. No seats. Nothing. So you see it all the way to the yeah. roof. It's packed to the roof, and most of it was maroon. 
um, it was a um, yeah, it was a, it was an awesome experience. What's the feeling like on at the 80th minute when the siren goes? Um, look, for me then it was just it was like it was relief. Yeah, okay. Because um, it's the there's so much hard work goes into it. Like, like you, you've you've listened to to my journey of how I got from where I was to to where I ended up. And yeah. The, from that first preseason at the end of 2000, going into 2001 as a young bloke coming into the SG Ball system, through to 2011 when we when we won the grand when I got to be part of the the grand final winning team, that's what all that hard work was, all them long preseason, all them sacrifices, yeah, um, you know the the dieting, the training, the the um, Everything that you got to go through to to get there, it was it was for that moment to to win the grand final with the team, and and that's something that you do together as the boys as well. You know, like all the pre-seasons that you go through together, yeah, it's all for that one moment. Um, Who'd you and, look for first when when I went? Um, I, I think it was it was sort of anyone, uh, whoever you, you could know, the, It was just just to to look at the other faces to know that like. You know, we did it, and and it was like at that stage, it was we did it again because, you know, we'd done it before, and even the, all the staff that were around the club, yeah, they they were guys that were there through the whole period as well. Guys like you know Alex Ross and Andre Rickenback, and um, you know, all of the training staff, they they were all there through that whole period as well. Um, so. You know, it wasn't just the players on the field who were experiencing it. It was the mm. it was the staff who, who bust their ass, you know, week in week out to. But to you're forever going to be tied with everyone. Oh yeah, for life. Hundred percent, hundred percent, and I'm so grateful for that too. Yeah, yeah. All right, Melbourne rivalry. Now, second last year before you retire, you actually end up playing for the Storm. Yeah. Now everything kind of like it's a bit of a weird thing with the Storm. Just because of the rivalry, because when you got down to Melbourne, the first game you played was against Manly. Yeah, yeah. What was it? How did you firstly, after being a Manly guy, who how did they convince you to sign with the Storm? Um, you know, you know what I was thinking about. It's like when you when you break up with your girlfriend and then you go and try and get back at her with the uh, <laughs> with the girl that she always hated. Yeah, um, it was kind of like that, I suppose. Is that is that. Uh, Manly was was a home for me that I absolutely loved and never wanted to leave. I didn't want to leave there at all. Um, and when I was forced to leave, um, it was like, well, if I'm going to make the change, I've got to make a big change. I can't just go to a Sydney club just down the road and be, yeah, you know, be just there. Like I was like, no, I've got to, I've got to get away from here and I've, I've got to, you know, move on and do something new. Mm. And so um, the opportunity to go to Melbourne, it was like. Well, you know they're a good, strong club. Yep. I was used to winning. You know, I want to want to keep being part of a winning culture. Um, and so, yeah, so I decided to go down there. Um, and and it was weird because, like, I genuinely hated some of them blokes. Mm. Like I talked about, um, you know, disliking other players, but Melbourne, we hated them. You we did. hated them. Like there was guys there that I honestly thought that. You know, if I if I run into you in the street, I'll punch you in the face. Like I, <laughs> I don't like you. I don't like you. I don't like what you do on the field. I don't like the jersey that you wear. Yeah. I don't like. I don't like any of it. Um, and and to meet them in the flesh, and and like some of them were some of the nicest guys I've ever met. Yeah. Um, it was it was really awkward and really weird to think like, you know, I don't want to tell you. You know, there was a guy there that that you know took me out for dinner as soon as I got down there, and you know was a genuine really nice bloke and I thought I don't want to tell him that you know two weeks ago I thought that I'd punch him in the face if I ever come near him um and, and to, to so to have that experience it was weird the first few months were weird for me down there yeah yeah so you know St George was a nice way to finish though because oh, that, that's your childhood team yeah. you're a big Ricky Walford man yeah, or, yeah. so to put the red and white the, yeah. the red V, I mean, that's pretty, pretty cool. Oh yeah, definitely. Like I, I the the year that I spent in Melbourne, it didn't go to plan. Like I didn't didn't enjoy it as much as I thought I w- as I would. Mm. Um, and I was ready to retire at the end of it, and then um, ended up deciding that I'll have I'll have one more year and play with the Dragons. And yeah. uh, I'm glad that I did. I'm really glad I did because 
Um, you know, even though we weren't we weren't a super strong, super successful team, we achieved the target of what we'd set out for. We wanted to make the eight that year, and we we yep. made the eight. But but more importantly for me was I got to wear the red V. You know, I, I followed the Dragons for so long, like from a kid. Like I went to all the grand finals um, that we lost. The, the, the Dragons lost yeah. through to. Um, you know, through to '99 was the last one that I went to, and and the, you know, to to get to wear the Dragons jersey myself, and um, you know, it was it was an honour, it was an honour to be, and, and especially with the history that that club's got as well. Yeah. Now, the last bit is just transitions because for being a gorgeous guy, you're also very <laughs> smart, mate. Like. You started uni, and you, I'm pretty sure you finished uni before you actually retired, didn't you? No, I didn't quite get finished. Like, I've, I've been extending it out, so I finished yeah. part of it. Yeah, but to um, start it and yeah. to think about what you want to do education-wise, and yeah. I know you're a very good networker, and looking at the door, different roles that you've taken, NRL, media, boxing promotions. You know, your hands are full, but at the same time, you put yourself out there to do it. So you must have been planning this like a long way before you retired, yeah? Yeah, yeah, 100%. And, and, and I think that's the key for for any rugby league player preparing for transition is is to be doing this stuff, like get, get your study under your belt while you're mm. playing um, so then when you when you finish you can you can roll into things because, um, like, that was a passion of mine. University was a passion of mine from high school. I, yep. wanted, I wanted to go on and go to uni. I didn't, I didn't think I'd be a footballer. So, um, you know... Furthering my education, getting to learn more, it, it was really good for my footy too. Yeah. Um, to to get that break from footy when when it was getting a little bit too much, I'm I'm coming to uni with a um, hundred kids that that don't even know that I'm a footballer. Who yeah, that's um, the best. You thing. know, they're there to yeah. to learn about business and to learn about commerce, and and this is a whole new conversation for me and a whole new way of thinking and it was it was just a real relief from from the grind of of rugby league and um and it set me up it set me up for for yep. what i'm doing now you know like i i hit the ground running as soon as i retired and, and got straight into everything every opportunity that came up i, I had a crack at and um you know because i I had to find what I really loved, where my passion was, mm-hmm. um, because my focus had been rugby league for, for 12 to 15 years. So um, I feel like you've got to get a bit of experience at different things to yeah. know what you really want to do. Um, and if that's you're not going to try, you, yeah. you know, especially I think it's the earlier you try, the better. Yes, yeah, I, and I agree, especially with um, – that's what I thought with my university degree, I thought – if I'm going to put, you know, four or five years worth of study in, mm. you know, I need to know that this is the area that I'm interested in as well. Um, so through the NRL and, and my relationship here, I was able to do an internship out at Accor Hotels. Yep. Um, and, and I was in their uh, their financial team and uh, got to experience every different part of, of their financial team. So, you know, everything from, you know, one week I was in receivables, the next week I was in payables and then uh, forecasting the business and, and, and everything. And there was, there was yeah. parts that, that I loved and there yep. was parts that I absolutely hated. So that was that was probably a really good uh, learning curve for me to know, you know, what I enjoyed and what I hated, and and then so when I'm picking subjects for, from then on, mm. you know, I can really tailor it towards what my strengths are and what I'm enjoying. A bit like rugby league, yep. tailor to my strengths and and keep building on them. For sure, that's some great advice for the young people out there. Now, George, we're going to finish up with a few personality questions. The first one: Who was the leader that you most admired, and why? Um. <clears throat> I'd have to say um, Jason King. Okay. Um, is he with the NRL? He is now? with the NRL yep. now. Yeah, but see, he he put in one hundred and ten percent into everything he did. So, <laughs> so anything that he said he was going to do, he was going to do the same. Um, you know, he was going to do harder than what he expected of you. So he there was never there was never a um, a fifty percent with him, and that's why I never wanted to get paired up with him at training either. Because I knew that you know if we were wrestling, he was wrestling at one hundred and ten percent every time. It wasn't just going to be a fifty percent wrestle. Um, so so there was good things and bad things about it. But the fact that he he led by example and, and yep. worked harder than he expected of anyone else um, was. Yeah, it was what made him a great leader for me. What about the front row, the front row scholars? <laughs> hey? The scholars. Oh, I know. Mate, 
The know, smartest guys they, in the team in the front row. And it's still happening now through the NRL. The guys, the guys who are completing their uni degrees while they're playing, they're all front rowers. You can't say that we're dumb front rowers. The, the front, front rowers club, anymore, mate. Watch know? out, watch out. All right, Georgie, who was you? I know you hated a few people, but who was your toughest opponent, mate? Toughest or most hated? Both. Yeah. Um, well, it's probably. I suppose it'll be the same sort of thing. Paul Gallen was always really tough. Like he, and and I absolutely hated him too on the field. Was that because he was so much like? Because he's got a weird sort of height. He's he's and he's so built. To, he's hard like, to control. He's yeah. He's, he's, he's wide. He's, and he's wide yeah. and he's not real tall. Yeah. And he's strong as hell. Um. Yep. And he always had this offload that he was always trying to rip his offload out. And I knew that coming into a game against him. Lucky, there's no again a bit like Kingy. There's no fifty percent with him. Every yep. carry is one hundred and ten percent. Every everything that he attacks is one hundred and ten percent. So he was he was someone that you had to be on for. Plus, you hated the sharks. And plus, I hated the sharks. And for sure. Yeah, the only time I liked him is when he was leading the blues. Or working for you now as a boxer. And working. <laughs> now, Mate, yeah. What's the go with him and Sonny Bill? Um, it has to happen, right? Well, it, well, it should happen. It should happen. I, I, yeah. I think. Um, I think it'd be. It'd make for a great fight. That's a fight that I'd love to watch. Like, and that's the thing. Like being in that sort of business is is like I, I sit there and think like, who would I want to see fight each other? Mm. Being, I'd love to see Paul Gallen fight Sonny Bill Williams. But um, it's one of those things, you know. Even Don King for his first huge event, like you have to be at the right place at the right time. Yeah. And for your boxing promotions company. This could mean maybe Gal and Williams, you guys being a part of it. Who knows? Well, it'd be great if we could be a part of it, but I guess Sonny would have to come to the table for that. Yeah. Sonny, if you're listening, mate, stop, <laughs> stop hiding, son. <laughs> All right, next one. What was your favourite? Taking out Brookie, what was your favourite and least favourite and maybe a bogey ground? Um, do you know that the ground that I absolutely love playing at, uh, I love playing here at Alien Stadium. Mm-hmm. Um because the only time that we'd sort of play there was was around semi final time, and yeah. that's when the, when spring's sort of starting to kick in. You get good weather, good crowds. You know, Sabi Arvo yeah. down here. It was always a fast sort of field, and like there was a good vibe about it. Like you know that you're down to the business end of the season, and that's yep. when you really want to turn it on. So it always had a good vibe. Another another one that I loved was is the Titans home ground. Okay, it's fast. It is the fastest track in the NRL without. Chaddy Townsend said the yeah. same thing to me. He loved yeah, it. With, He's with never that. lost there. Oh, I think we've got a pretty good track record there too. Yeah. But you, you felt like you were the fastest man alive when you were on that track. <laughs> um, like it's just, I don't, I don't know what they do with the surface there, but it, you just feel really fast on it. Okay. And bogey yeah. ground, did you have one? Uh, I used to hate going to Canberra because when you go to Canberra, yeah, it's, it's cold. Right? It's cold. It's cold. I don't do. I don't do. You well just don't. You cold. can't be gorgeous. Yeah. You'd be putting on no. your beanie and yeah. like, you'd be yeah, hiding. Exactly. Yeah. Get a bit precious. <laughs> All right, Georgie. Final. Final question. It's my dinner party question. Now, you're going to be hosting a private dinner party. Now, you've got five invites to this party, mate. You've, only rules, no family or friends, but you can invite anyone that you would like. Oh, really? Dead or alive, too. Dead or alive. Wow. Um, look, odd. Oof. What, Australian or anyone? Anyone, mate. Anyone. No family or friends. Okay. Um, uh, let me think. Um, well, well, if I'm just go, if I just go for a lot of people now, like someone like Barack Obama, I think I could listen yeah. to him talk all day long. He's he's pretty cool. He's in my um, list too. An athlete like a, a Michael Jordan. Yep, I'd love to have him in the room. Um, I'd have. Um, who do I invite along? I'd bring. Um, I've got to get some Australians in here. What am I doing? Um, yeah, so I, I, guess, uh, I guess if I'm thinking Australians, um, I'd like to have... Oh, fuck. Who else was... What have I said? I've said Barack Michael Obama. Jordan. Michael Jordan. Barack Obama. Um, Okay. You bring Bow Wow, mate. <laughs> We've had Bow Wow. We had Bow Wow out at, out at, uh, out at Wild. He's, he's done Who was his time. girlfriend back in the day? Sierra or something. Sierra, yeah. yeah. I'd bring Sierra, I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, if I'm going to bring – I'd have to bring Pia Miller along if she's, you know. Yeah, okay. I, I think she's a great actor. Yeah. Um, uh, I'd bring – 
I'm stumped on this. I'm trying to think of who I'd bring. Um, I'd bring Briggs along, the the rapper, the Australian rapper. I okay. Think that yep. he's, I think he's pretty funny, and he's got he'd say some outrageous shit. Yeah. Um, yeah, he'd he'd be entertaining, and um, um, another person who'd be entertaining would be. Um, I'd bring there's this there's this Aboriginal comedian Kevin Crepinuri. Okay, I'd bring him along just because he's hilarious and and he'd have us all all laughing. We'd all be in stitches. So um, you know, a bit of humour, bit of bit of history, a bit of um, and Pia. Mate, oh, I want to mention. Shouldn't say that because my, my missus will be filthy about that. Have you YouTubed yourself? Uh, yes, I have. I do it every day. Yeah. So, mate, <laughs> mate, this is serious now. So I YouTube you just to get, you know, I, I like to watch a little bit of footage before I have a guest on. So anyway, there's this thing from like Perfect Partners from 10 years ago or something. Yeah. It's got like 50,000 views on it. Yeah. You're famous, mate. Yeah. It's, uh, it's actually an ex, ex-partner on there yeah, as well. Yeah, that's so what I was thinking. It's I'm going, awkward, yeah. This might be his ex. Yeah, it is. But yeah. it's gone. It's gone absolutely viral. Yeah, it's that's the thing about doing things publicly like that, isn't it? It comes back to to bite you in the ass eventually. But you were very, very funny, mate. <laughs> At least you were funny. At least you came across yeah. like a good bloke. Yeah. Oh well, I did enjoy it. Like I, I won't, I won't. Yeah, I won't, I won't bag it because it was, it was, it was fun doing it at the time mm. and um you know this time if i did it i'd probably get a 10 out of 10 because i'm, I'm much better uh, suited to my current partner <laughs> well said georgie rose before i let you leave now you are on facebook twitter instagram it's easy gorgeous g rose yes and online nolimitmanagement.com.au to keep up with what's happening in the boxing world yeah yeah and there'll be there'll be plenty coming up so we've got a few more big things coming up so yeah. um i'm excited about that and i'm i'm really grateful to have been on your show well i'm very grateful for you stopping by telling the stories you keep george's gorgeous mate and we'll catch up soon cheers awesome Thank mate and that guys was big gorgeous georgie rose hope you enjoyed that episode definitely Give him a follow across all the different social medias. Also, check out all the brilliant work him and his brother's doing in their boxing promotions company. All right, next week on the show, we've got an absolute cracker in New South Wales and Knights legend, Danny Badiris. In terms of you know the commentators on TV, he's one of my favourites. He's always prepared, always his knowledge is just second to none. And in terms of analyst, yeah, I don't think you're going to get much better than Bedsy. So we'll be telling his story and getting some insights into his media and also his coaching career. So be on the lookout for that. If you're new to the show or you haven't checked out all of the old episodes, definitely jump online at www.talkingwithtk.com or you'll definitely find it all on your podcast app. Just simply search Talking With TK. I'm Get, get in touch right now for guests for Season 3. I'm always going to do my best to get in touch with the people that you want on this show. So send me an email at tristan at talkingwithtk.com or direct message me across my Twitter or Facebook. I'm at talkingwithtk or Instagram. I'm at Tristan Nell. And I think that is it for this week. But definitely keep sharing the, the show with your family and friends. That's the reason why I was able to you know grow it to what it was in Season 2. If you do have a little bit of time, if you could review the show on Apple Podcasts, if you're listening through that, or any other podcast app that let you review the show, that would be a very, very good of you. All right, guys, next week's Betsy Baderis, so be on the lookout for that one next Tuesday. But for now, I'm Tristan Cannell, and this was Talking With TK. Talking With TK.